South Connection listeners, welcome back to the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast, episode 60. Wow, what a milestone, uh, 60. If you watched, um, if so if you listen to this podcast, you could have an episode for every minute of the show, 60 Minutes. Incredible. But uh, let me bring in, just coincidentally, my guest on this one was my guest on the very first episode of the podcast, so it makes sense that he would be here for this huge milestone of episode 60, uh, and that would be Logan Crosland, uh, the... The hottest, the sexiest man of Starkville. What's going on, Logan? <laughs> I don't know if I'd go quite that far, but uh, it's great to be here tonight. <laughs> great to be here on, on here once again uh, as I've run the gamut from 1 to 60. So um, good to be back. Awesome. Um, yeah, we're working the uh, the South-South connection here. Uh, not so much North-South mm-hmm. here. You're the farthest North, and you're still... Um, <laughs> Very you South. Still, <laughs> south of, still South of Tennessee, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can say you're north we'll call it north south because you're in north mississippi but exactly. um but yeah i think it's been a minute to, well it hasn't been that long you did the rumble so yeah i did think rumble, of it hasn't so. been hasn't <laughs> been that long but um anyway we are we're gonna officially start to build here i mean we started it at no way out and you could kind of see where we're going but we have we start the official build to mania where there will not be another pay-per-view and we are uh yeah we're uh any I know you're a big fan of 19. I, I forget where do you stand on the, are you a 19 truther or a 17 truther? No, I'm a, I'm a 19 truther for sure. Um, Perfect. So. Me, me and Sean are on, on that team, I guess. <laughs> I am too. So we'll, we'll see how the bill holds up. Uh, we'll see how they start. They have five weeks, which I think is like a, um, a moderate build. I feel like sometimes they 
seem to have a good maybe i'm used to the more modern ones where sometimes they used they would have like a pretty long stretch but this one i would say five is kind of i would say average as far as the mania build mm-hmm. yeah maybe leaning towards the lower side but yeah it's pretty pretty average mm-hmm. five to six weeks is between the february show and the uh late march wrestlemania early april very good um, but we will um, we'll start to hammer it out. I do not have any news notes for us, Logan, because unfortunately, so I usually get them before I record. And I went on the Observer website, and uh, it is I couldn't log in. I couldn't get into the newsletter archive, so I was not able to go and get our news notes. So maybe I'll just have to double up next week. So, um, but pretty pretty sketchy, Mel. Uh, Scott Schiffel's paying good money for that subscription. And you're- <laughs> Screwed him out of his money and me using his account. So yeah, yeah, you got to find that sheet of paper that uh, allows you to uh, know how to increase your <laughs> bandwidth so you can uh, get the get the news to the people. So All right, it got smothered. It his um his server overheated, being buried under his uh, paperwork. <laughs> Those files in his shitty little office that he has. But anyway, so so no news, but we'll have plenty to dig into here as we have the fallout from No Way Out. Whereas I mentioned in the last one with uh, me and Gruny discussed, they kind of did a pretty good job of putting everything in motion for Mania already. You can kind of already see where they're going. It's definitely, you know, one of these Manias where they have, they seem to have have a, pr- a pretty clear plan, at least around the Rumble, and they're kind of executing that. So not a whole lot, I would say. Like, I don't think the, the Mania card is going to be that unpredictable, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. So, uh we will. We can go ahead and dive in, Logan, and we'll kind of see how they kick this off. We'll, um, we are still in, in Canada, as uh, No Way Out was in Canada. So Raw is going to emanate from Toronto still, um, and this is going to be the February twenty fourth, two thousand three episode of um, of Raw, and we start off with Eric Bischoff limping out in a sling. Um, I love this whole look here. I love all the details. He's got the leather jacket uh, draped over him, but he doesn't have the arms through because his arm in a sling. Um, just good, like, heel, uh, you know, looking like he just got his ass kicked uh, after Stone Cold did exactly that in No Way Out. Uh, he says, but he gets the mic, he says, I'm still standing. So a uh, little Elton John quote there. But he <laughs> then uh, lets us know that tonight we'll have a 20-man battle royal for the title shot at Mania. And I, and I thought about this. This is the first time, Logan, I guess, that they've had to kind of account for two titles in WrestleMania. Like, the first time they've had sure. the whole, like, like the um, the Royal Rumble that you and I covered, where the Rumble winner only accounts for one title. So the Rumble winner kind of gets to pick with title, and so it leaves the other show kind of with... I guess it's like a new thing for them, uh, having to figure out what to do with two titles. And maybe that is why they, they fall back on the, you know, kind of a little bit of a lame trope here. Well, they're just going to have a 20-man battle royal for a title shot at Mania, which is what Eric tells us here. Um, so what do you think of them using the 20-man battle royal, almost like a mini, like a great value Royal Rumble here on Raw to determine the title shot? I mean... I think we'll kind of get into it as who, who has the person that wins later on in the show. I, I, I feel like it could work, but I feel like they need to have built the person that's going to win it a little bit more than they have. Like I said, we'll get into it later with who does win it. Um, but I feel like if they were building him to like really get in this hot run to go for a mania title shot, I think it would have worked a little better, but uh, it's kind of a lame way to do it. But, I mean, if you don't do like a, you know, a triple threat match or something like that at the February pay-per-view, you kind of have to, you know, 
come up with something like that a little bit here, or maybe you can drag out what's going on at Royal Rumble a little further. But I, with, with what happened at Rumble and what happened at No Way Out, I don't think we want Steiner anywhere near a main event at this point. So um, it, it's it's kind of lame, but I, I understand it at the same time because you really couldn't have done anything else at this point. Right. Like I said, I wonder if they were just trying to get accustomed to this because they were so used to like the one champion wins the Rumble goes to mania thing. And uh, maybe it's why they end up going to elimination chamber down the line. Maybe that's part of it, but either way, they're going to kind of stick to something pretty basic to do it. But anyway, after that, he makes a huge announcement and brings out the rock who had only seen uh, since his return on SmackDown, but uh, he's showing up here on rock and Jr. and King are completely shocked at this, that, uh, that rock would just be able to jump shows. So, uh, at this point, we aren't given really an explanation, but you kind of just assume it's Rock and he just does what he wants, which, as we'll talk about later, sort of ends up being the explanation anyway. <laughs> but yep. um, Rock is showing up, and um, probably his conflict is done with Hogan, so he's going to move on to something else. So big moment for Rob. But all right, so we get into this Rock promo, which is <laughs> this like puts Triple H to shame as far as the length. But uh, <laughs> he says he's finally returned to 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 run his mouth on your candy asses. So he plays up to <laughs> the uh, little pun on Toronto. S- says that Vince lets him do what he wants. So kind of hinting that this is why he showed up on uh, Raw because he felt like it. He kind of runs down Toronto. Says this is where people, um, which I like the way he ties this all together. He says that this is where. You know, the people started to turn on him last year at WrestleMania when he kind of went in at the face and Hogan was still Hollywood Hogan. But for whatever reason, they they um, they booed him and cheered Hogan. So he's kind of returning to the place where the fans started to turn on him. And as we know, he's recently turned heel. Um, he calls them Mother Canuckers. He, uh, <laughs> he said the Mother Canuckers boo me out the building. It just real good healing off stuff. Just has the crowd in the palm of his hands. Uh, he says, uh, I get more pie in a day than you get in a lifetime. There's some guy in the crowd. Um, he's pissed off that he wasn't the superstar of the decade, that Stone Cold won it. Thinks that that's a bunch of BS. And he, again, more cheap heat. Says the Maple Leaf sucks. And he's just basking in the crowd. He There's like entire minutes of this where he just kind of stands for a minute and like postures to the crowd and kind of pisses them off by stalling and, you know, just lets the, they give him an asshole chant. He's just letting it soak in. Again, just he's so good that you know, he was one of the most beloved people in the company. He returns and he just completely turns heel and the crowd just totally buys it um, and doesn't want to cheer him anymore. But anyway, he enters himself in the battle royal and he tells them to stick the booze up their syrup soaked asses or something along those lines. So, um, so I, I gave the bullet points here, Logan. It was legitimately about a 20 minute promo. But, I mean, it was long, but it was, you know, it was long, but it's still The Rock doing his thing. And I kind of mm-hmm. got what he was doing. And given that Raw is a bit of a vacuum at times, I didn't really blame them for, I mean, chances are if, he did, the ten, if they would have cut 10 minutes off of this, we would have got some fucking lame match anyway. So, mm. I mean, why not just let Rock go out there and get his Rock lines in? But he did have, I thought he had, like, it, I did like that besides just getting the cheap heat and getting the crowd to boo him and everything, he did kind of tie it all together and kind of show maybe what his motivation is besides being like, full of himself because he's like a Hollywood movie star. He does kind of call back to the previous mania. So it was a nice little coincidence that they're in Toronto again. But um, yeah, good promo. And I also like that he entered the Battle Royal because it kind of builds some intrigue. Like, because mm-hmm. at this point, you're still thinking like, is he back part time? Is he going to, you know, go for the championship? So it kind of builds some intrigue that maybe he could possibly be in the world title picture here. And he's going to like 
actually wrestle on TV, which is interesting. So overall, I think a pretty good way to start the show, considering what we get on a lot of these Raws. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. Like you said, he had the crowd in the palm of his hand, even if they were booing him. Um, I do. I also like, like you said, they kind of tied it back to, uh, you know, him getting booed at the previous WrestleMania in Toronto. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'll never complain about a rock promo. Maybe, maybe he goes a bit long sometimes, but I mean, he can do it. Like if anybody can do it, he's the one that I'll, I'm willing to give the time to go as long as you want. Um, cause he, you know, he throws some good one-liners in there. Uh, King was a big fan of the mother Canuckers. Uh, I think he says it about 800 times throughout the rest of the show. So, um, <laughs> But yeah, I just I, I love the Hollywood rock theme. I love the Hollywood rock character. He comes out to the the theme. It's one of my favorites. Um, and I love it, it, the the uh, Canadian crowd calls him an asshole at one point. And I love how like pronounced the Canadian accents are <laughs> on that. I can't really do a Canadian accent, but they're going asshole, asshole. You know, so <laughs> I, I just love how pronounced the accents are when they're calling him an asshole. So. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked, uh, how he went at the crowd, uh, name calling could be a little bit, you know, here or there, depending on your, your feelings on the rock. But I, I just love when he goes at the people like he did, but, uh, yeah, good stuff. Good way to open the show. Right. Yes. Those like, like the syrup of your syrup asses or whatever. Like <laughs> I feel, if a lot of people did that, it just wouldn't work, but he just has that delivery to like, I don't know he can just pull it off. He's like, uh, he's got that dusty thing where he can say like insane stuff that would come off as corny, but he just, it just works for him. Yeah. I think, I think on the episode of crack and roll, we just did, he did a promo where he said, I'm going to best, I'm going to be coming all over America, baby. And it's just like dusty. (laughs) Could you have not worded that more poorly, but it, you know, it's dusty. So it works. Right. But I'm with you. The the character's great. He's gotten it over in just a matter of weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's awesome. So. But we'll see what he does in the Battle Royal. We'll see um, what he's got going on. But, so we will catch The Rock later. And then we will go to our um, our first match of the night. It's going to be Jackie uh, versus Jazz. So definitely sounds like a Jazz enhancement match on paper. Victoria and Stevie are on commentary. But I'm going to be totally honest with you. I, didn't ca- I don't know if you did, Logan. But yes. I didn't really catch anything too memorable that they did on commentary. Um Nope. I don't know. Did you catch anything <laughs> that they, yeah, it was kind of, it was a little forgettable as far as commentary. They were just kind of basic comments on the match, but um, I did think there was a bit too much Jackie offense in here. I mean, it's pretty basic, but like, you know, it's jazz, you know, doing some power moves. I thought her backbreaker looked pretty good, but again, I thought Jackie got almost a little bit too much offense. Like she took a decent amount of this, like, you know, she was definitely coming off as the underdog, but I mean, at this point, just have jazz go in there and look dominant. Why not? Uh, I did like to finish the jazz hits like a um, kind of gets her with a leg whip, grabs by one leg and twists her into a half crab and then moves that into an STF. So I thought it was a pretty cool little submission finish. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and uh, we also get jazz uh, screaming out, come on, bitch, which is <laughs> kind of memorable. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the post-match after. But, you know, it was it was a squash to me that should have been more of a squash. I just ended up going like uh, half a star on it. 
Yeah, I, I gave it one star. I thought it was a pretty. I thought they got pretty physical with each other. I, I think it was perfectly fine. Uh, th- there was a scary little botched power bomb at one point, but other than that, I thought they worked pretty snug and it wasn't too bad. Uh, it wasn't great or anything like that either. But um, yeah, like you said, Victoria and Stevie Richards are on commentary and they say they have the best seats in the house. And of course, King responds to that and says that his lap is the best seat in the house. So Victoria can sit there if she wants to. Um, and then uh, the only other other thing about the commentary that i really picked up on is like you know victoria's character is supposed to be this like psychotic evil bitch or whatever and she was like super calm the whole time like i would have you know i would have liked her to like you know be real manic or scream or you know something like that just be a little bit more chaotic than she was but she was just kind of like oh jim you don't like my wrestling you don't think i'm a good wrestler and i'm like what are you talking about um, right. But yeah, it, I just wanted her to be a little bit more chaotic than she was, but she was just super calm. And uh, like you said, we'll talk about the uh, post match. Yeah, I didn't find they use the commentary well, well to like kind of get their characters over. And like Stevie, for sure, I know. I mean, Victoria's kind of still, you know, worth you know, what she can do. But Stevie obviously has a history of being able to like kind of be okay on the mic. I don't know if it's just they were kind of told to not do much. Who knows? But. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they baby. didn't really do much to get themselves over here. But, yeah, Jazz looks decently dominant. But probably the more important thing is that after the match, uh, so Jazz gets on the mic, says the bitch is back. So a lot of Elton John references on this, uh, <laughs> on this crawl. We have, so I'm still standing by Eric. The bitch is back by Jazz. But, anyway, the uh, the lights dim, and here's Trish. Um, they make it seem like she's been gone for, like, six months, even though it's only been, like, a few weeks, honestly. But I get it. It's Toronto, so they want to make a big deal out of it. We get a big scrum. Victoria runs down. The rest have to pull Trish and Jazz apart. And uh, it seems now that Trish is being reinserted in this. And we have kind of, I'm just, I call it the women's division, but it's honestly not much of a division because it's pretty much just these three right now that are not completely forgotten. But I'm happy we have at least three players in the women's division who seem like that are kind of legitimized compared to the two that we've had the past like eight months. So <laughs> positive. <laughs> yeah. At least they have somebody else to fight now. Um, I don't know what, I guess Molly Holly's hurt. Uh, she hadn't been around for a little bit. I don't think so. Um, yeah, it's pretty much just jazz, uh, Trish and, uh, Victoria. So, um, but I'm glad jazz is back to kind of add a little, a, another, another person to that little division. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of sad. The, the, how the division looks at this point with just the three of them, but um, hopefully some people will come back and return and make it a bulk it up a little bit more. So, uh, but we'll see, I guess. <laughs> right. I almost wish that they would have found something else for Trish. Well, I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but I was kind of looking forward to jazz and, and Victoria having their own little thing just because since the start of the podcast, I mean, the women's division is so Trish centric. It's mm-hmm. not that I don't like her, but it just kind of, it kind of gets formulaic where it's just like big bad heel versus Trish where, mm-hmm. or not big bad, but it's like heel versus Trish. It'd be cool if we had like, you know, at least the jazz and you know, Victoria would have been like a different style of feud. Where mm-hmm. it maybe seems like they're going the, the triple threat route, but we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I think that in the, within the, within this year, they'll start to expand it a little bit. I mean, they think they only get like two or three more people, but you know, it'll be more than the three that they have right now. You know, Lita will come so back. They double and, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I think Gail Kim, Gail Kim comes in at some point. So, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll add at least two or three more people. So. Tracking. Um, but <laughs> we, um, speaking of, uh, 
I don't know how to build this, but uh, oh, Joe Jesus. Francis, so girls going wild is here to meet with Test. Um, Joe Francis, who uh, whose reputation is dog shit by uh, by present time, he recently was uh, there was that uh, TNT expose thing. I forget what it was called. It was like during the NBA playoffs. It was yeah, I remember advertised a bunch, but <laughs> yeah, apparently he's like a class A piece of shit. But anyway, Test is hanging out with him. Uh, he's hanging with the ladies on the girls going wild bus. Um, I was kind of shocked, um, you know, like what I was just alluding to, the kind of the reputation of Joe Francis and Girls Going Wild, kind of um, maybe not the most, look back with the most reverie, reverie or whatever, but I'm shocked they didn't edit this out is what I'm getting at. Like, I'm honestly surprised Peacock wouldn't have just edited all this test on the Girls Going Wild bus stuff out. I mean, him being affiliated with Girls Going Wild, I guess, kind of becomes part of the storyline, but I was surprised they kept in all the, like, girls gone wild s footage here like him picking the finalists like it pretty much became just like a girls gone wild commercial and um and he was kind of awkward the whole time because he's just mm-hmm. kind of like this awkward he's like kind of an awkward dude and he's like trying to play up being a horn dog but he's just kind of weird i don't know and he's like gigantic <laughs> which makes it even more weird but like him like i feel like he was trying to overdo ogling the women like he's just like oh man look at all these boobs like it's like all right test we get it man you can <laughs> like you don't have to oversell it yeah he's like it's you're talking cool. about the girls going uh-huh. wild you know, the girls that do the you know they pull up their shirts and reveal the oh, oh yeah cool I'll, I'll get on the bus with you <laughs> <laughs> he like won't say boobs yeah. but or you know breasts or anything <laughs> like that he's just like oh the the people that pull their shirts up and show the, you know, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. stupid. Yeah, He's an idiot. <laughs> He's such a dweeb. It was so weird. He he was, uh, yeah, he tried to be a horn dog so bad, but he, I, I don't know if he was like coked out of his mind or drugged out of his mind or something like that the whole time, but he was, <laughs> he was in space at the same time. So I don't know. Weird, weird segment for sure. Right. Um, and then the thing too is he's supposed to be a face, and he's with Stacy, and so it kind of makes him look like a bit of a, a dick because like I mean, oh mm. man, you're with Stacy Keebler, and you're, I mean, come on, you don't need to be on the girls from Wild Bus. Be, <laughs> be satisfied with what you got, dude. So it kind of it's a little heelish, like it's a little scumbaggy for, especially because they've been trying to play up like Stacy as the damsel in distress, and he's um, protecting her. So that's odd, but I think maybe that's where they're going anyway. So. Anyway. Yeah, I think I think this um, but, is kind of the I think this is kind of the start of a, you know, a little bit of a transition, but it's kind of a slow transition at the same time. So, but it, you'll see that as you go on. So we'll um. Anyway, so and he's bragging to this. So of all people, Maven, that's who he decides to brag about us <laughs> to. And uh, uh, Tess tells Maven that Stacy is cool with all this, but then she shows up and does not seem to be the case. Uh, Morley comes in and tells them to get along because tonight they will be facing Christian and uh, Chris Jericho in a tag match. So, so uh, Tess being reinserted into this Jericho feud after the weird Jeff Hardy um, little detour and no way out. But mm-hmm. yeah, so signs of, uh, of what do you call that? <laughs> signs of uh, tension between Tess and Stacey here. Anyway, yep. we get a cut. We also get a uh, a recap of Goldust being electrocuted. So, uh, any any thoughts on the Goldust electrocution, Logan? Since you haven't been on since then, 
asshole. Uh, oh, it, it's, you know, it, it leads to the horrible Tourette's uh, syndrome thing that he has for the rest of pretty much his WWE run. So it's, you know, it, it, it can be funny, but it's just, yeah, just a little weird. Uh, and not, not a segment I would have done with uh, Goldust, of all people, at this point in his career. But, you know, it's something to get uh, the younger people the younger boys in evolution uh a little bit of heel heat so i guess it works right so we're going to see him for the first time since this incident uh he's having the the classic serious sit down with jr that's been going on since 1997 um gold this was i don't know why but this line was so ridiculous he says you know uh jr the thing about getting electrocuted you live or you die Yep. That's true. You're here. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> right. But um, uh, Jr. addresses the uh, the possible neurological issues, and this is when Goldust starts uh, stroking out. He starts having his um, stuttering. Jr. is like, at, like Jr. is so serious. He's like, Goldust, uh, I think something's wrong. Uh, Goldie <laughs> says that uh, it's okay. You know, there are some side of se- side effects, but if he takes his meds, he will be fine. Uh, Golda says that uh, Randy and Batista don't know what it's like to be on the edge of death, um, but uh, they will be because they're going to have to remember the name Goldust. So I dug the ending. I like that he brought back the uh, old Goldust, the uh, the at the end, and they remember the name stuff. Um, I do kind of like in a weird way. It's a very because now I feel like they're being sort of self aware about it. But, like, just the whiplash of, like, the seriousness and the goofiness is just so all over the place. But I feel like it's kind of entertaining, and I think a lot of it is because um, he's such a good performer. Like, he pulls off and makes it entertaining, and it's very likable. Uh, but it is just so strange that they just did this, just to have this goofy thing. And, like, you still have JR being so serious about it. It's, it but it is, it does make <laughs> it more funny, I guess, because it's kind of, they're playing it up so serious, and he does all this goofy, like, the fine, fine, fine. So we have stuttering gold dust. It's not. Mm. Yep. Yep. Tourette's ridden gold dust. Poor, poor thing. Um, but yeah, I, I do like that. He got kind of serious at the end and kind of vowed revenge on the, on, on the, on the youngins of evolution, uh, that he's kind of, kind of try and try and take them out, but, uh, we'll see how that works out for him. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I do like considering where we're going with the world title. It's a nice little backup. Kind of ties mm. in with that too, which is nice. But exactly, yeah. he'll pull it off because he's just—he's so good at this kind of stuff that. Exactly. I think if a lot of other people did it, it would come off like a crock of shit. It, <laughs> it's amazing how long it lasts too, because like until he leaves, pretty much he does the does it somewhat at least. He has a little bit of the Tourette's, uh, little syndromes, a little little bit thrown in there. He doesn't do it as often as as time goes on, but he does it every now and then to kind of call back to it. Think about electrocution. You live or you die. You live or you die. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Next up, we're going to have Kane versus Lance Storm. So a little bit of a um, uh, a callback to our uh, match at No Way Out. Uh, they say that Regal is injured here. And I believe um, maybe you told me. Oh, someone told me this. Um, but apparently No Way Out is like the last time Regal wrestles for, I don't know, a long time or ever or until he comes back a long time. So this is kind of the end of this little run for Regal and Ring, apparently. Yeah, he, he gets a concussion in that match. He gets knocked silly. I can't remember what exactly happens, but I know it's Kane that kind of uh, – he gets, he gets a boot 
that you know kind of went array i guess it didn't it didn't hit it hit how it's supposed to i guess um but then he gets some like uh parasite or something like that and it like really fucks him up and he's out for a while until the eugene stuff starts up i'm pretty sure i think that's what brings him back he's kind of uh bischoff's assistant and he kind of keeps you know takes care of uh uh, eugene but yeah he gets some kind of parasite or something like that and he's out for a long time right that does sound familiar now i mean it's sad to say because i love the guy but he's one of these guys where like kind of felt like he's had such a tumultuous career with things like this that it, yeah. you can kind of get like get your wires crossed into when certain things happened in his career like when did this bad thing happen and this bad thing so yeah but that does sound familiar now that you mention it um yeah he, whenever uh, Meltzer gets his goddamn website going <laughs> i'll uh i'll get us yeah, update on it <laughs> I looked it up. Uh, he had a heart parasite. It was fa- he got it. He contracted it somewhere on, on an India tour in like November of the previous year, and it had been fucking with him for a long time leading up to this. But he finally got it checked out, and he's. I guess he gets it fixed or something like that, and he's out till like the next April. So, uh, mm-hmm. I think they transition. It's all like making sense to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think they yeah, transition. Yeah, I remember well. at the time yeah. they said that a lot of the guys were like sick coming off of the tour. Mm-hmm. And I think they transitioned the belt from Regal to Morley, and him, Morley and Storm kind of become the champions. Uh, there they do some little bullshit uh, switch somewhere in there, and that's who that's who ends up being the tag champs after after Regal kind of goes out. It's uh, a bummer. Love Regal, but uh, mm-hmm. this match, it's a you know you get a good dynamic here. Kane's got the power stuff, and Storm's agility makes uh, Kane's offense look good. Like he bumps around for him. Um, pretty well, and also Storm has some pretty good comebacks. Like uh, specifically, I love that uh, he hit a Storm hit a springboard drop kick that looked really nice. He always has a nice drop kick and mm-hmm. springboard. I mean, it was real crisp. But uh, Kane, it was a pretty easy win for Kane. He hits him with the uh, two choke slams at the end. So they just kind of go as is typical in these Raw matches. It only goes about three minutes or so. Like, but mm-hmm. uh, Kane just kind of manhandling him. Storm comes back a bit and then eats the choke slams and. That's pretty much it. So I ended up going a star and a half on it. Not a whole lot going on here. Yeah, I I, I pretty much went the same. I went star and a half. Uh, I'm pretty sure there were only like three wrestling moves in this. It was like a power slam, uh, like that little slingshot guillotine that Storm does. And then Kane hits the choke slam at the end. It was a lot of strikes, uh, but good strikes. You know, uh, Kane's Kane strikes with his little uppercuts and all that kind of stuff always look pretty good to me. And like you said, uh, Storm has a pretty good drop kick and throws a pretty good strike himself. So lots of strikes, but I, I thought it was pretty solidly worked. Another perfectly fine match, uh, but nothing special. Yeah, and I should mention too during this, they kind of on commentary, there's a lot of debate about if Kane and RVD are on the same page and after the loss because it was Kane's mask. So Kind of sowing the seeds of a possible breakup between those two. Exactly. (laughs) All right. We then head to uh, Randy Orton, who tells Batista it's finally time for his in-ring turn. He he threw his shoulder back into place throwing gold dust. (laughs) So it's a nice little heel line. But uh, (laughs) And Flair kind of gives them a little pep talk and says he wants them to keep the win going uh, after Triple H won at uh, No Way Out. So just hyping them up as they're about to go into a tag match with Booker T and Steiner. And so Orton Batista versus Booker T and Steiner. Um, The, uh, as we get this going, I mean, this was true before no way out, but it 
it's even more true now after Steiner loses again. But the fans are just clearly more than the Booker T. Steiner is such a second wheel, mm-hmm. like a second banana to Booker T in this. Uh, Evolution come out to Flair's music, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, that was uh, weird. <laughs> and uh, Randy does have like an early version. It's not quite the Orton pose that he would do, but he kind of has a similar uh, movement to it. But he puts his hands in a sort of a different phase, but he's already kind of working on that as his signature. We'll see how that keeps uh, building. See when he actually hits the uh, the Orton pose. But uh, Booker T lights him up, both of them up pretty early. Um, and then Flair trips him. That kind of turns the tide. They isolate Booker T. Um, Batista hits a uh, choo-choo clothesline, I'll call it. Uh, <laughs> Orton definitely... Orton's still definitely uh, working that... Like, when he first debuted, he was like a face, and he worked that kind of quick baby face style. And he's still... I mean, he's working more heelish, but he's still working a lot quicker than, like, the methodical Randy Orton that would become signature. So it's kind of interesting to see here, like... It's mm-hmm. weird to see, like, you feel like he's in hyper speed. And he's really not going that fast, but you're so used to Orton being, like, you know, the Viper and taking his time and everything. To see him just moving so quickly is odd. But it slows down when Batista gets a bear hug. Orton goes for a headlock, so a few wrestles here to slow it down. I liked all Booker T's hope spots, though. Um, he comes off as, like, tough and resilient, which honestly was the point of this whole match. And I did think that they did a good job of that. Uh, Steiner finally makes an appearance, and he's... He's much better, I have to say, in this role where he's just coming in for a hot tag. He can just club around, throw a few, you know, drop a press slam on Randy Orton. Like, much better in 20-second increments uh, than mm-hmm. what he was in a 20-minute singles match. But uh, anyway, Orton ends up hitting the crossbody, and Booker T is able to roll it into a pin and kind of steal the win there. Uh, but I thought the match was decent enough. It was pretty fun, and I thought it accomplished its main goal was making Booker T look good and giving him a win and kind of just continuing his little rise here. So I ended up going two on it. I could, I could probably even go see going two and a half, but I did I did think that that uh, kind of the stalling in the middle was a little kind of dragged up for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, this match may have gone on a little bit too long, but I, I enjoyed it as well. I went two and a quarter, actually. I went a little higher than you. Um, I thought they worked over Booker T pretty good. They did, they did a pretty good work over job uh, of Booker T. They kept him cornered. They kept him away from Steiner. Uh, Booker actually hits the scissors kick at one point, and uh, JR calls it the spinneroonie. So a little flood <laughs> there from JR. Um, but it's pretty, pretty telling how they feel about Steiner at this point, as he have, he never actually gets officially tagged in. When he comes in, he just kind of interferes, but he's never actually legal in the match. So it's kind of telling that Steiner was the main event the night before, and he's already not getting tagged in in a tag match, and they trust Booker <laughs> a little bit more and know that Booker's getting cheered from the crowd a little bit more. But like you said, it, it did its job of kind of making Booker look resilient, and uh, you know he, he pulls out the win at the end, uh, kind of reversing the crossbody so i thought it was a good good showing for booker and i thought the uh two evolution guys worked him over pretty well throughout the match so uh, yeah i went two and a quarter right it's again and they were doing this even before no out but it's it's almost like you could put a big sign on this match like a stamp that says we are moving on from steiner to booker (laughs) (laughs) it could not be more obvious Like you said, they're ta- they put him in a tag match and Steiner does nothing and Booker T looks great. So it's just. Obvious. Yeah, he comes in and like wards off Flair eventually, but that's pretty much all he does. All right. We find out that Stone Cold returns next Monday. And this 
they didn't do the it wasn't the uh disturbed music it was like the most great value rage against the machine i don't know what this music was this oh it was the chris movie. warren band or whatever the people that sang oh the God. dx uh theme yeah they did like a stone cold version it was weird the only reason i know Don't that is because i because I, I had that because <laughs> i had the uh that uh they did like an anthology uh cd and it did all the eras it did like the hulkamania era the attitude era and like this era that you're going through right now and had all the theme songs and that one was on the attitude era one but it i've never heard it and i don't think he ever came out to it so i don't know why it existed <laughs> Yeah, or I think there's one they later, and they and they here. used the disturbed one. Mm-mm. That's right. Yeah, so weird. Those were random. Mm-hmm. It, it was like, yeah, I almost thought it was like some dub music. It was so bad, but anyway. All right, we're gonna get our. Um, I guess I don't know if this intergender because there's only a woman on one team, but anyway, it's kind of the uh, heel off matches. It's gonna be Jericho and Christian versus Test and Stacy. So obviously putting. Testing Stacy at a disadvantage here. Uh, Stacy getting the, the cheap pop the uh, with the uh, Maple Leafs jersey on to get the Toronto crowd behind her. Uh, Test is pissed, beating up Christian, but uh, Jericho wastes no time uh, pulling Stacy off the apron to kind of throw things off. Uh, they jump Test. He fights out a bit. Jericho gets the chair and quickly uh, there's a DQ. They end up handcuffing Test to the uh, to the ropes. They put Stacy in the wall. Stacy, so. It definitely was. It came off as very like man, like they really came off as like shitbag heels. But I, I will say like, Stacy selling was a little, like I don't know. She please, please help me. Like she didn't really look like she was in real pain. I guess it was just kind of like it looked like she was like, just trapped. Like you know, it didn't sound like cries of like, oh my goodness, he's breaking my back. It just kind of sounded like. Oh my goodness, he's on top of me. Please help. I'm trapped. I don't know. It was odd. And her in the walls is odd too because her legs are really so long that it mm-hmm. just looks strange. Like, <laughs> and her legs look so skinny. It was, uh, it was quite a mm. visual. Yeah, it was very uncomfortable. Um, uh, Stacy comes out with the Maple Leafs jersey. So, uh, King, of course, makes a tonsil hockey joke. So, ha ha ha. Way to go, uh, King. Yeah. You creeper motherfucker. Um, but, uh, <laughs> My, my, I had a question in my uh, notes. Why did it take till the second chair shot for it to be a DQ? Because he hits him in the gut with it, and Charles Robinson does absolutely nothing. But then he hits him over the back with it, and that's a DQ. So I, I just wondered what the heck was with, up with all that. But um, Jericho just looks like a real fucking scumbag throughout all of this. Um, I, I don't know if you want to go into the post-match quite yet, but, um, but yeah, I, I thought it made Jericho and Christian look like real shitbags, so I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah, again, like, so I thought, it was, but I still accomplished their purpose, like, it looked, and I think because Stacey, they really, of all of the women, really don't portray her as a wrestler at all, that I think that added to it, like, just them mm. kind of be, and then the, the image of Tess being handcuffed, so she's helpless and all that. Yeah, it definitely came off as more vicious evil heel than maybe like the just kind of whiny heel that Jericho comes off sometimes. But anyway, don't worry, because your boy Jeff Hardy's here to the rescue. (laughs) And he is completely useless. He accomplishes nothing. They just kind of like... uh, Huge goof. Yeah, like (laughs) he just gets neutralized immediately, doesn't anything. But another great heel spot too, like she's um, she's reaching for... uh, Sorry, not Edge. 
um, all these long-haired Canadian guys. <laughs> uh, she reaches for test, and uh, Christian just kicks her hand away. So that was another like, it was like real old school, like um, you know, like old like Crockett style heel shit they were doing here, which I dug. But uh, finally, the real hero HBK shows up to save her, and of course, they just all scatter. Like he doesn't even really have to beat them up; they just run away in fear. So Jeff Hardy comes. I mean, they could not make him look like more of a like a punk ass than they did here. Uh, but I, I didn't even rate it as a match, honestly, Logan, because it, it was more of a, a an angle, this whole thing. I mean, the match itself lasted about a minute. It really felt like Jericho and Christian were just trapping them, which I think works better than it being a real match. It just kind of shows that they kind of just put this match together just to to execute this plan. But, um, yeah, just great, nasty heel heat for Jericho and Christian. And it's just building more that you want to see HBK go after Jericho. Besides it just being like a dream feud, they're doing a good job of building it as, um, you know, putting a lot of heat on Jericho for him, to, um, for HBK to come after him because Jeff Hardy's not going to do it. Yeah, I, was, I feel like nobody's really gotten gotten a one up on Jericho a lot lately. So I feel like it would really see an HBK go after him and really get 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 him, uh, you know, f- for all of this and all the stuff he's been talking about throughout the last few months is uh, something good to build towards. But, yeah, like I said, he comes off uh, Jericho and Christian come off real scummy in this. And I, it was a little uncomfortable for how long Stacy was in the uh, mm-hmm. walls. She was in the walls for probably three minutes, it seemed or it seemed like a long time even though it might not have been very long but uh i would have skipped hardy coming out even though i know it kind of leads to a match that happens after this but i'd probably would have skipped hardy and just had michaels come out and kind of prevent that move from being on a a lady for as long as it was but um that's probably just 2022 speak uh coming to my mind um but uh yeah i didn't really rate the match match either but yeah it definitely did what it was supposed to do and made uh, Jericho look like a real asshole. So uh, I think it was a good character building segment for sure. I agree. And it's, I feel like it's good for like, this is one of the few raw segments where they'll do stuff like this. And I just kind of feel like it's paint by numbers. I felt like there was some real heat to this, which is good. Mm-hmm. You don't always get in some of these. It kind of just feels like paint by numbers where this felt like you could feel a little bit of actual heat and emotion to this, which was good. And it won't be the uh, it won't be the most brutal case of um, <laughs> between Jericho and HBK where a uh, lady uh, gets hurt. Oh yeah, definitely not. <laughs> later in, even a more non wrestler in that case. <laughs> <laughs> right, the, they're just getting warmed up here, Logan. Uh, anyway, Vince Carter is in the house because we're in Toronto, so the Toronto Raptors very baggy 2003 outfit. They get like a, bl- a black Yankees uh, whole get up going on, but. Yeah, very baggy. Definitely a lot different look than what you would see from an NBA player in 2022 if they were out at an event like this. Oh, yeah, definitely. And they had other (laughs) Raptors players there, but uh, I'm not very uh, well-versed in 2003 NBA players, so I did not recognize a single fucking one of them. (laughs) I was so locked in on on Vince and his his whole aesthetic he had going. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so... And so this whole thing was odd. So Jeff is trying to hobble away after we had that whole thing and then cut to Vince, Vince Carter. We have Jeff trying to hobble away and Chris Nowinski walks out. At first, he's Mike doesn't work awkwardly and like he's trying to play it off. And uh, well, actually, they do a good job on commentary because JR and King are like making jokes about, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, maybe the Mike didn't get a degree or some shit like that, or he didn't go, <laughs> he didn't pass the class on, you know, micro um, electronics or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when it do finally that. does work, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. You're good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he calls uh, Jeff Sir Lance a lot uh, because he tried to save the damsel in distress, but he failed. And so Jeff gets pissed, hits him with a twist of fate and a swanton and just pins him. So, again, didn't really count this as a match. It's like, it's like they were trying to make Jeff not look like a complete chump, but it's like, it's too late. You just had mm-hmm. him. Compl- I mean, Nowinski's not wrong. He did come out and completely fail. Like, he failed to save Stacy, and, you know, he continues to beat on Nowinski, and then the ref reverses it, which I always think is a kind of a dumb trope, mm. uh, the reversal, because the guy beats him up after the match. But uh, And then Jeff chases him off. So, again, I guess they're just trying to, like, not to give Jeff a little bit of something, but after, you know, after the previous segment, I don't really think it does a whole lot to help him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying... Hardy looked like such a goof in the previous segment that nothing was going to save him. I mean, he immediately comes out there and gets hit with unprettier and just is dead on the mat until Shawn Michaels comes out. So, and I, I thought, I, you know, it, it was a quick match. It was just a twist of fate in a swanton. But uh, just seeing Hardy walk around, he seemed like he was in really rough shape at this point. I don't know if he was like hurt or whatever, but he seemed like he was, you know, I think he was kind of sell, trying to sell getting hit with the unprettier, but I, I feel like he was holding his ribs and his, he was limping a lot with his leg. So I feel like he was uh, not in the best way at this point. So this, this, it just seemed like he was hurt or something like that. Yeah. The whole thing is just an odd tact on segment. I don't, I mean, the crowd popped mm-hmm. a little bit because he had the swan, but I don't think it's doing a whole lot for him. Mm-hmm. It just continues yeah. to, like, meander. It's like they just don't know what to do with him or if they trust him. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's more of a trust thing at this point, and I don't I, th- I don't think he's around much longer, so they don't have to deal with him for too much more. So. <laughs> All right. So we hit the Kane and RVD getting ready for the battle royal. Kane complains about Rock. So Kane very early on the complaint about the partners taking a spot here. Um, he talks about Rock showing up to enter the battle royal um, when he hasn't even been on. And uh, more attention from RVD and Kane because RVD says that he's going to get the title shot. And then they kind of have like an awkward moment where they're like, they clearly are going to be the tag team to help each other. They're kind of going with the every man for himself vibe. So more. Uh, Ascension maybe between RVD and Kane going into Battle Royal. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Straightforward. Uh, yeah. All right, we go back to Rock in his dressing room. He tells his lady on the phone that if uh, Austin has a problem, she could take it up with him. I guess this is his, um, oh, I forget what her name was. Maybe it's his secretary or whatever. I forget what he called her. It was like Patricia or some shit. But, um, and at this point, he grabs his guitar and starts to strum on it, but is immediately interrupted uh, by a very disappointed Hurricane. Hurricane is very upset with Rock for uh, turning on the people, and he says, what's up with that? And Rock pauses for a second and then says, who in the green hell are you? Which is a great, uh, just great delivery. The pause was so good, too. He just looks at him, and he's like, who? Um, but then he says that he's the Hamburglar, so, but uh, then he says, just kidding. No, I know. But uh, you can, he says that he can't beat any superhero. He can't beat Superman, can't beat Spider-Man, he can't beat Aquaman. And Hurricane says there is one superhero he can beat, and that's the Scorpion King. Uh, <laughs> even Brendan Fraser was able to defeat the Scorpion King. Rock gets very upset with this and, and starts to defend himself, saying it was just a special effect for the movie. 
Uh, and then Hurricane says that he'll see him in the Battle Royal, and Rock is still um, rambling about how it was a special effect in the movie. So I enjoyed this interaction. Um, I thought Hurricane did a good job holding his own because I feel like the thing about Rock is that he can sometimes overshadow who he's with, and it's very hard. Like, you really have to be able to hold your own with him. And I thought Hurricane, for, you know, not being stone cold or somebody, I thought he didn't seem totally out of place. And, like, his sense of humor kind of fits with Rock's whole deal. And so I thought they just had good chemistry together as, like, a kind of an odd couple segment that seems thrown together, but it was very entertaining. Now, for some reason, these two have, like, a weird chemistry with each other. Uh, I feel like they have a few uh, backstage segments with each other throughout the years, and it just always seems to work for some reason. So I guess their comedy styles just work together. Uh, but, yeah, he, he calls him the Hamburg burglar for the first time, and uh, that'll be a running joke for uh, the rest of any react or interaction that they have throughout the years. But, um, yeah, for some reason, these two just work when it comes to talking back and forth with each other. But I thought it was a really awesome segment as well. Right. And, and I love that. It, I mean, not that he wouldn't, but it just shows that Rock's willing to kind of, as always, make fun of himself, like bring the scorpion king in and mm-hmm. razor defeat him like you know that he's willing to play ball like i know he has kind of reputation sometimes that like he kind of not buries people but that he always ends up looking the best but it does show he's willing to kind of take a few shots which is good yeah and i wonder why the hurricane was a little bit more offended that aquaman could beat him because he seemed like he was okay with like superman and batman beating him but when he said aquaman he was like oh, how dare you <laughs> Like before, it's probably like the the Aquaman Renaissance before, yeah. like uh, mm-hmm. the more modern Aquaman, where everybody I think still had the memory of like the old Aquaman cartoon where he's just kind of like a dork in the red suit. Yeah, I guess so, that's true. <laughs> yeah, we're still we're still a little ways away from the uh, the you know the cool Aquaman, the, the great cool. value Roman Reigns playing him. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. All right, so now we're gonna get um, even more of this whole deal this whole feud that kind of needs to just go away at this point um and so we're gonna get king versus morley again this is like a revenge match for what they did to jr and king before the pay-per-view um and I, it just had me thinking like i mean he comes on this match and he's just in his regular wrestling type morley is still in super good shape like he still mm-hmm. looks like i guess i was just thinking i wonder what it is like why did they decide to go this direction with him and make him have more of a um, less of a wrestling role and be more on the mic. And, you know, this whole thing with Bischoff where he gets in the ring sometimes, but he's not really having like real matches. Like, like, was he injured? Like, it's just odd that they would take a guy who still looks like he looks like he can go pretty well and kind of move him away from that. I just, I don't know what it is, but just having me thinking. Cause he yeah, looks he, good here. Yeah, he was in sick shape. He was very cut in this match. Um, I guess he had he had to have some kind of injury where he could only, you know, he thought he, th- he could get through a little short match like this. This match doesn't go very long. And it's really more of a vehicle to uh, a return than it is really a match. Um, but yeah, it must it had to have been some kind of injury that he was just kind of working through and. Uh, this is just what they had for him uh, at this point because he hangs around for a lot longer than you think um, after this. So, um, but I don't know. It had to have been some some sort of injury. I feel like, right? Because I mean, he's all right in like backstage stuff, but a lot of his backstage stuff was always based on his character. But mm-hmm. you know, it's not like he's just like all time promo guy that you're like, man, we got to stick him in a talking role. Anyway, just had me wondering. But anyway. Um, 
you know, he, he beats the shit out of King here. Like, King takes an mm-hmm. ass with him pretty good here. I mean, he gets a few spots in here, reverses a few things, throws uh, Morley into the steps. But um, I was very impressed by King taking the uh, the rolling suplexes, like the rolling uh, kind of vertical suplexes. I was impressed that he would actually do that. But, yeah, it's all Morley. He goes to grab a chair, and Earl get, kicks it, even though it's, this is a no-DQ match, I should mention. Earl kicks away the chair for some reason, which doesn't make any sense. Um, but as that's going on, the Dudleys run in from the crowd. They run in on Morley. Um, I think they hit him with a 3D, and then King gets the fish drop off the middle rope and beats Morley. So, um, I mean, it was whatever. It was entertaining enough. I mean, get the Dudleys coming back. But at this point, this hasn't been the most interesting angle. I mean, it's been all right, but it's definitely run its course. And I'm hoping this is like the blow off to it because I don't feel like there's a whole lot of gas left in the tank for this. Like, you know, they got the revenge on Morley. Let's let's move on. But I ended up going a star for the whole thing. Yeah, I, I went a star for it, too. I feel like it was more of a it kind of went a little long. I will say it this one dragged a little bit longer than I figured it would. I figured they'd kind of get in and out. But I think it was more of a vehicle to just kind of bring the Dudleys back into the purview. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Morley kind of really kicks the shit out of him for a good little bit. And, you know, King pulls it out at the end. But, uh, yeah, n- n- not terrible but it may have gone a little longer than it should have and i actually looked it up he he is recovering from a neck injury so um Mm. he he uh he's probably just trying to take it easy until he really comes back to the ring for uh full time i guess so i I think that's part of why he doesn't wrestle very much during this era right i figured it must have been something like that but i mean initially they must like him to give him i mean he's been it's a pretty prime spot for somebody injured now, for somebody who's more like a mid-card guy, I mean, getting pulled with Bischoff, who's like your, you know, your heel authority figure that's heavily featured on here, is, you know, obviously. yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like he plays the. I feel like he plays a pretty good dick, so I think he's easily hateable. So, I think it works for him at at this point. If they, if you're going to use him, I think this is a good position to put him in for sure. All right, so we're getting ready for our big battle royal. We see Flair hyping up his boys. And so they kind of play it that their job in the battle royal is to uh, to take out anybody that Triple H would not want to have to deal with, like Kane, Booker T, RVD, um, kind of just get rid of all these guys. So sort of bounty hunters in a way. So, um, But we get to the match, and it is, um, it's a battle royal. They kind of... You know, there's a bunch of dudes in the ring. A few people get entrances. But uh, in the early going, Rock gets jumped, so everybody's after Rock. Um, Jericho ends up getting <laughs> jumping himself out as Tess finds him and chases him out. So Jericho is eliminated. And so they kind of have to find anybody who's sort of a legitimate threat to this, or you would think could be <laughs> a title contender. They have to kind of find ways to get him out of this. But at this point, it just kind of becomes a battle royal. It's just kind of like, I don't know, a bunch of dudes filling up in the ring, kind of doing real basic shit. Like, there's really not a whole lot of memorable spots here. Um, they give a, a interesting fact that the last battle row in Raw was October of 95, which is kind of amazing. Um, so yeah, that's why It was won by Owen Hart, so. Yeah, shout to Wrestling Warzone. I'm sure they talked about it on, like, there. That would have been very early in the show. But anyway, uh, yeah, Evolution, take out RVD, which, again... The thing about this is I think if you're going to do this, you at least have to make the eliminations like some memorable spots. But the RVD elimination was kind of botchy and like not real memorable. They just like Uh RVD goes to kick him. He looks like he slips a little bit and they just kind of dump him out. So that was kind of a lame one. 
Rock takes out Hurricane, so kind of going back to what they did earlier. And then this is kind of the most entertaining part of it. Rock heads down the commentary. He just kind of waves <laughs> it off. He doesn't get eliminated, but he just kind of slides out, walks the commentary, um, and says that uh, he's just going to live it up while these jabronis all beat each other up and eliminate each other, and he'll come and clean up. So uh, he calls out Stone Cold on it. Um, he's just, you know, throwing rock. He says, Rosie, Rosie. Uh, he talks about the hurricane, says that Rosie looks like he ate 15 hurricanes. <laughs> yeah. Which is, good which is ironic because then, they eventually um, become a team. So I thought that was really funny. Right. Um, but our final four, we end up with uh, Kane, Christian, Booker T, and Rock, technically, even though he's not in the ring. But he starts to head back as uh, uh, he heads back in, immediately dumps Christian and Kane, so it leaves him and Booker T. Booker T fires up, but Rock um, kind of gets the upper hand. Rock is going to toss him over the top rope, but at the last second, Booker T reverses it and flips Rock over the top rope and gets the win. Pretty big pop from the crowd, um, but in a good moment for Booker T. Unfortunately, the match itself is kind of, I mean, it's a battle royal, so you're not expecting anything great, but I feel like it didn't even really nail, like it didn't nail the basic stuff that you want from a battle royal. Like there were really no that memorable of eliminations. The moment Booker T at the end was pretty cool, but I would maybe like to see a little bit more one-on-one for Booker T and rock just to kind of build a little bit more suspense. Um, again, it, it got the, it accomplished the purpose of getting Booker T a win and kind of having this cool moment for him. He's number one contender, but you know, no cool eliminations or the ones they were going for got kind of botched. Uh, so it just it's something that's already could be kind of lame, and I feel like they didn't even nail a lot of the the cool parts. The final four didn't really have a whole lot going on, so I ended up going only a star and a half on it. Like a good moment for Booker, but you know a pretty weak battle royal, I'd say. Yeah, I ended up going two on it just because I thought it was a pretty good building block for Booker T. It made him look like a star eliminating the Rock, so I, I thought it was a pretty good uh, building block for him. Um, uh, I just, at the beginning of the match, you know, Test immediately gets thrown out. And it's just like, I don't feel like they know what they want to do with him. I feel like they want to push him, but they don't. I think they think he's a goof, but I think they think he's awesome. So it's, I, I don't I don't really know where they're going. Because, they, you know, he's featured in three segments. He gets the match, he gets the Girls Gone Wild thing, and he's in this match. So they obviously like him uh, enough to put him out there, th- uh, put him on screen three times. So... I just, but then they make him look like a goof. They make him like watch his girlfriend get the shit, uh, shit kicked out of her earlier in the night, and then he immediately gets dumped in this. So, thought it was a real weird uh, booking of Tess, and then Jericho eliminates himself like a dumbass. Um, but uh, yeah, that that part of it confused me for sure. But uh, I thought it was pretty amazing also that Rosie lasted as long as he did, considering Jamal was like the third person eliminated. So Rosie made it to like the final six and his partner was like one of the first people out. Um, I did love the rock doing commentary mid match and it led to some pretty good sound bites for sure. Uh, but this is definitely Booker's night. He has two wins and now he's the number one contender to triple H. So I think it's a pretty, pretty good spot for him uh, to kind of make him look like a star uh, defeating the two members of evolution earlier while also uh, eliminating the rock to win this, to get the title shot. So good, good star making performance for Booker T. Right. It, it felt very thrown together, I guess, is my biggest. Yeah. Thing. Like, yeah. I feel like they could have given it and like kind of plan this out almost like, a, you know, it's not going to be a rumble, but maybe playing out and 
kind of weave together the storylines a little bit more. It kind of just felt like they're like, I just throw a bunch of guys up there and have Booker T win and with yeah, the Doctor Rock stuff. Yeah, definitely wasn't the most star laden uh, battle royal for sure. And has as Rodney Mack even made an appearance on Raw because he was in this battle royal randomly, and I was like, where the hell did he come from? Has he yeah, been he on had Raw? one squash? He's okay. he replaced our beloved D'Lo Brown logo. Oh, that's right. Um, that's right. When D'Lo Brown was released and uh, from Thuggin' and Buggin' Enterprises and from the WWE <laughs> in real life, <laughs> so it's like uh, he that's right. just comes out and uh, Teddy's just like. Uh, Fuck below Brown. This is my new guy. Mm, okay. Okay. I, I, I just saw him in this and I was like, has he even appeared? But that's right. I forgot he replaced D'Lo. That's right. So a little lackluster, a little lazy, but it gets us where we need to go, which is Booker T. And he even gets a little rough in the rock as rock gives him kind of a, a sarcastic, but he does say this guy's good. So a little rough in the rock for Booker T. But that ends our, uh, our raw here. Um, it starts the mania build. Uh, you know, we had, I thought we had some decent storyline stuff here, like Rock showing up, giving the good promo. I like the Jericho, like we said, some good heel stuff. You really don't get anything in ring, I would say. Like, I think the highest either of us went was, what, two and a quarter? So you're not even mm-hmm. really getting even, like, one good match on this. And the, the main event was especially kind of lame. But I still, David, what I think is kind of a generous four and a half out of ten, just because I did feel like, there was a decent amount of storyline push with Booker T, Rock showing up, again, the Jericho stuff. I did feel like we had some solid angles on this, even if the in-ring was kind of shite. Mm, yeah, I went five, just middle of the road. I thought it was perfectly fine, but nothing out of, blew it out of the water. Nothing in-ring really blew you out, blew you away. But, um, I, yeah, like the two angles that we talked about, the Rock kind of coming up and uh, insulting the crowd and kind of setting up his... Uh, he'll run going forward and then Jericho kind of being the scumbag uh, there in the middle of the show. But uh, I think it was a perfectly fine episode, but nothing really blew you away for sure. Yep. And so with that, we'll move on to uh, SmackDown. So February 27th, 03. We'll see how they fare in there. Start to the mania build. A little more obscure here, Logan. We are live from London, Ontario, Canada. <laughs> Not as familiar with that as Toronto. Um, Canadian palace can lighten us at some point. But anyway, we start off hot. Because uh, anytime when you start with Vince, you're starting off hot. Uh, he explained that Rock has earned the right to go where he wants. So kind of makes it seem as if like he and Rock cut a deal to screw Hogan. And so Rock got that freedom. You know, whatever. Um, he says Hogan won't be here because of the flimsy excuse of a family emergency. Um, but Vince says he knows the real reason is that he is obviously scared of him. And I, I screwed with you. Like I screw with you. Like I had no way out. He tells us that he screwed him with a Canadian ref and, uh, <laughs> and knocked him down. Like a, uh, what does he call it? Like a blivet. Knocked I, him down. Like a, big, I missed it. I'm big, not going to lie to you, <laughs> but that's funny. I, that killed me. I had to look up the word and it really is. It's, um, it's something that is like completely empty or worthless, but just amazing vocabulary by Vince. You big beloved. That's but, it. Uh, at least a ten dollar Tim Cable word for sure. Very Tim Cable word. I was like, <laughs> at first, I was like, did he just make this up? And I looked up, I was like, God damn it, that's a real word. A beloved. He just called him a beloved. <laughs> anyway, and then he goes on to say that McMahon and Mania is running wild now and kind of struts around the ring. But um, just a great psychotic Vince promo, just 
screaming at <laughs> screaming about Hogan. He screwed him, calling him a blivet. Just all this ridiculousness. Uh, just good classic maniac Vince. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just absolute McMahon and mania is running wild. How he ends the promo, so um, he calls Hogan a coward. Uh, but he kind of baits the uh, crowd twice at the beginning and says uh, he mentions the Rock, and then he said is not going to be here. And then he says Hogan's name and kind of lets them cheer a little bit and says is not going to be here. So I thought it was pretty good heel stuff by Vince for sure. So. Livet is an item of unknown purpose, often unnecessary or useless or annoying. So that's what he calls Hogan. But that's what he thinks of Hogan right now. So <laughs> good stuff. You're never good enough. Uh, good, good classic starts to both shows: a rock promo and a crazy Vince promo. Um, <laughs> and uh, we get another thing that we saw in Raw, which is a uh, uh, well, at least we have a. Uh, a lady in each match to kind of even out, but we have Tori and Funaki versus Noble and Nidia. Apparently uh, Funaki is now Tori's like night and shining armor. It changes from week to week sometimes, but mm-hmm. uh, good cruiser <laughs> stuff from uh, Funaki and Noble. I mean, those guys could go pretty well. You get your arm drags, you drop kicks, all looks pretty good. Um, good stooging spot where Noble gets a uh, sling, get the hits. Sorry. Gets, I'm trying to think of the past tense of slingshot, 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 I guess. I don't know. Slingshot into Nydia. Nydia misses the frog splash, um, which gets a good Taz line when she misses it. She yeah. broke the yoke. <laughs> <laughs> I made note of that one too. That was awesome. Cause she had like eggs on she her bro- uh, shirt or whatever. So he said, she broke the yoke. <laughs> she broke the yoke. Tori comes in, uh, slaps Noble he slams her down. A uh, pretty good little bump there by Tori. Uh, gets a good crowd reaction. A lot of oohs and ahs. Uh, Funaki hits a planche on Noble. Uh, Dawn, now, ever since this Dawn and Tori feud, anytime Tori has a match, Dawn Marie will just run the apron randomly. It just, every <laughs> single time she runs on the apron and Tori just knocks her off. <laughs> like, that's it. It's so random, but she just runs on the apron, gets knocked down. Nydia runs into her and uh, Tori rolls up Nydia to pick up the win. So, Perfectly fine and entertaining. Uh, like I said, the two guys were good. Uh, Tori takes a, a pretty good bump. The Nidia missing the frog splash was a good one. It was crisp. They all kind of hit their spots when they were supposed to. And, uh, yeah, so I ended up going two on it. Just perfectly fine little uh, mixed tag. Yeah, yeah, I went I went two on it as well. I made the note, like you said, about the broke the yoke tat line that Taz had. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was a pretty good cruiserweight action when uh, – Funaki and Noble were in there. I thought they did a pretty good back and forth. And luckily, they kind of kept the ladies portion a little short. So it uh, ended up being a pretty solid match, all things considered. Um, you know, if you look at this match, you're probably not like, oh, man, this is going to be a good match. You're probably like, oh, well, hopefully this one's at least short. But uh, all things considered, I think it ended up pulling out a little bit, uh, better than you might have thought. So uh, I thought it was a pretty solid way to open the show. And what it leads match, to is... Uh... <laughs> Stephanie coming out to um, to immediately announce that there will be a diva who will get a full nude Playboy pictorial. And uh, she's being very uh, sensuous here. She does a little tease saying that whoever's in there, you'll be their bare breast. And she kind of alludes that it could be her. Um, no, Can you imagine? Like, don't do this. Don't, <laughs> don't tease this like that. But, uh, but she then reveals that it won't be her. It will be the finest diva, Tori. Being Playboy, 
uh, and both Dawn and Nitty are very upset about this. She celebrates with Funaki, so Funaki gets to celebrate with Tori about her um, uh, Playboy deal. But yeah, uh, my biggest takeaway with this was the the Stephanie tease. She was uh, definitely was feeling herself in the the beginning of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this is definitely her hottest period uh, as, as a as a performer. Um, but yeah, I, 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 can you imagine if she had actually been in there? That would, <laughs> that would, that would be amazing. But obviously, uh, and the p- position of power she's in now probably would, uh, probably a good idea that she didn't do it. But, um, yeah, I, I thought it was, you know, basic Tori. I think Tori does it multiple times. I think this is the first, but, um, the fact that Cole kind of acts like this is a dream come true for Tori. Like she was a little girl and she was like, you know what? I want to be naked in a magazine one day. Like, you know, like <laughs> I thought it was comical that he built it up like this was a dream come true for her. Uh, I mean, it's cool, and I'm sure she was all about it. But, like, you know, she didn't grow up being like, you know what? I'm going to be a playboy <laughs> one day. <laughs> Maybe that's what Al wanted for. That's what Al. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that was his dying wish. I want you I want to see you naked in a magazine one day. <laughs> All right, so they kind of play off that Dawn and Nitty are like kind of jealous of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then we also see backstage Stephanie tells her that it won't hurt her girls gone wild deal stuff. So a lot of um, a lot of a lot of booby things going on for Tori. And, and <laughs> it just continues deal. with this uh, next segment that you're about to talk about. <laughs> right, right. Again, so kind of going off the, the again, Steph kind of feeling herself here in the in the black dress she's got rocking, but uh. Brian Kendrick comes here and he is looks and also the way he's dressed doesn't help anything. I mean, he looks like he's like 13 years old, <laughs> like <laughs> legitimately. He looks, I mean, but really like maybe no more than 16. Oh, and absolutely. He looks extremely young, but he says he wants to prove how, how bad he wants a job. And they definitely are playing. There's a little bit of uh, you know, older lady with the young guy who wants a job, but they, then they kind of pivot and it's like, uh, you know, like he's just saying, like I'll do anything. And she's like, oh yeah, you'll do anything, huh? But anyway, they kind of <laughs> they don't go that route. What they do do is um, he's gonna have to take on Kurt Angle, and if he can last five minutes, he's on the roster. So I believe if he would have been with Steph, he would not have lasted five minutes. So he probably has a better chance here. Yeah, he probably would have lasted less than two minutes, or at least I would have <laughs> at this point for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that this uh, it gave me like the stepmom. Uh, stepson porno vibes at the beginning of this how he was just like you know i'll do anything to uh, have a job here on smackdown um but yeah he i I like that uh, i do like that kendrick kind of challenged angle instead of it being like oh well you'll you'll have a match with angle and if you last five minutes you win but he actually went out of his way to say i mean i'll wrestle kurt angle if 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 that's what it takes so i like that he kind of challenged him but yeah definitely gave off some uh porno vibes at the beginning there She's also like a foot tall on him, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yep. All right. So with that, we'll head to our next match, uh, kind of a random pairing here. It's going to be Eddie versus Nunzio. Uh, Eddie comes out, of course, with Chavo, and Nunzio comes out with the family. The uh, I think they're calling the FBI at this point on this show. They started actually going with the FBI name before they were just kind mm-hmm. of calling them the family. That's but, right. uh, yeah, this was, a, this was a, a nice little spread of a match. I mean, these are two guys that can go at a pretty – quick pace some good counters um i always like eddie's fire that was always real good so they just kind of go back and forth doing some pretty uh, i don't want to say basic but you know nothing too much and they don't really get enough time to put together anything incredible but uh 
it was just a pretty basic little sprint match. Eddie wins with the uh, – he ends up hitting a roll-up and uh, pulling the tights just to kind of get over the live cheat and steal stuff. But uh, I just went a pretty standard two. I mean, it was just like a solid match between two guys who could kind of work this style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went, I went too as well. Uh, Eddie seemed a little bit off in this one. He was uh, just like a little step off. He just wasn't as crisp on some stuff as I felt like he usually was. But it's another perfectly fine match. The two did uh, good stuff throughout the match. I thought Chuck Palumbo, uh, his outfit in this one was out of the QT Marshall collection. So uh, <laughs> he had the he had the uh, he had the two and a half men bowling shirt on as well as his little uh, little little Italian hat, I guess. So. Um, but, but yeah, uh, I, it was perfectly fine. Like I said, too, uh, Eddie's always good to see. I'm glad, I'm glad he was on this episode, but, um, yeah, nothing, nothing to blow it, mind blowing or anything like that, but perfectly fine at the same time. Two and a half men bowling shirt got me good. Yep. I mean, <laughs> that's what I always, right, I, right. The, that's what I always think when, uh, no, kids, you're right. You're, you're right. <laughs> the, that's what, yeah. The, uh, the Charlie Sheen, um, I'm looking Charlie Sheen. Uh, yep. <laughs> so um, the the family immediately attack Eddie. Uh, the FBI do, but uh, Big Keish is here to even even the numbers. Who obviously has his uh, ongoing conflict with the FBI, so he kind of clings them out. And, you know, just kind of basic, just to remind us that you know FBI and Rikishi have a feud going on. What, what a good forgot. What... <laughs> What a good friend Rikishi is. I feel like he's always the guy that comes and saves whoever the wayward soul is that's getting their ass beat by the group or whatever. No matter who it is, whether he's feuding with them or not, I feel like he's always the guy that's like, oh, yeah, I'll come help you. He's the, he's the, the, oh, yeah. (laughs) His ample seat. (laughs) All right. All right, so we head to uh, Stephanie. She's with uh, Heyman. She tells Heyman that if Brock beats Team Angle tonight, he can face any member of Team Angle in a cage next week. Um, and Heyman starts to panic, knowing that Brock will pick Angle to soften him up for WrestleMania. So it's a little stip on this uh, handicap match for later. And we are also told that Edge will be out for nearly a year with the uh, neck injury that kept him out of No Way Out. So kind of talked about it on the No Way Out pod, but just a real bummer. He was... You know, he's obviously been on a hot streak since SmackDown started. He's been killing it um, on a really great run. Obviously, his career is going to recover, but it's just still a bummer to see him in this, just to lose a huge chunk of time kind of in the prime of his career here. So, bummer for Edge. Yeah, losing him and Regal back-to-back is pretty pretty rough. I mean, not not that they would be main eventers or anything like that, but they're solid solid bases in the mid-card to kind of push along some storylines. But, yeah, losing them, too, pretty much at the same time is rough. Do you, um, do you remember this from the time? Like, do you remember being bummed or have any memories of him being out? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't as huge a fan of Edge as I am now, but I, I was, you know, I liked him and, you know, I would use him on the video games a pretty good amount at this point. So it was kind of a bummer to see him go out, but I wasn't like devastated, I guess. I wasn't a gigantic fan of him yet, but I would go on to be, of course. And I think when you're younger, it's kind of just like when guys go out like that, you're just like, oh, guess they're out for a while. Like it doesn't, I guess you don't think about the big picture of it too much. Exactly. All right. We cut to Benoit, who's speaking with Brock about Team Angle, and he says tonight they both need to win by any means necessary. Brock says that he will win. 
in that um, Benoit says that the hopes that Team Angle tries to do what they did to um, to edge to him because uh, he has friends and he kind of he's speaking into the locker into the dressing room but he can't really see who he's talking to so he has kind of like a mystery partner going on here we'll see who it is in just a moment but uh, this next thing got me very hyped because our first. Um, our first uh, listen to Crack Attic, which is going to be the WrestleMania 19 <laughs> song in this WrestleMania 19 promo. And we find out the Limp Biscuit will be performing live at WrestleMania uh, 19. So, great. My Way gets a lot of, you know, I think My Way gets all the uh, the PR, gets all the, the, you know, gets a lot of attention. But Crack Attic is no slouch. Yeah, it was a pretty hype uh... Uh, theme for this pay-per-view and I, I like that they perform it at the show as well so yeah I, I think it's a I think it's a solid song it doesn't get the hype like my way does like you said so or rolling uh, as it was takers theme for a little bit there but uh, yeah definitely a solid 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 track <laughs> all, right. all right so we're gonna find out who Benoit's partner is as uh, he's gonna be taking on Matt Hardy and his little MFR Shannon and we find out, uh, well, let's get our Matt facts first. Our Matt facts, he wears a uh, size 34 pants, and he thinks that sweet potatoes are delicious. So I would agree with him on sweet potatoes. I believe they're good. I wish I thought um, were a 34 waist. <laughs> same. Those were the days. Uh, Matt says that uh, Edge got hurt. I, I love this, too, because it's like a little... It's like one of these uh, where they just show like a little pre-tape promo, but he says that Edge got hurt because he wasn't an MFR, and that is why he suffered uh, this tragic <laughs> twist of fate. <laughs> Such a dick. <laughs> but we find out that Benoit's partner is Rhino, who is the the constant on every pod that I do. He's mm-hmm. on here now. He's on TNA. He just showed up in NXT when I do PTB NXT. So he is like the thread that connects all these things together. Mm-hmm. Rhino, he just shows up everywhere. So, and the crowd's into it. I mean, uh, we, we talk about him in the TNA pod on how we to the impact zone, but he's got, he just got this like insane energy that is kind of infectious. Mm, yeah, the crowd gets super behind him, and I, I I popped really hard when I was listening to uh, PTB NXT uh, the other day, and I heard he showed up there, and I popped even harder when he showed up here because I was just like, because you had said on that that you you were like, he's everywhere. I feel like he's on every pod that I do. So now he's literally <laughs> on every pod that you. <laughs> right, right. But we need to have Ron Ron on a uh, YouTube roulette, and then you'll be perfect. But uh, the beginning is really awesome, though, because you have the crowd popping for Rhino, and he and Benoit kind of just go straight to work. Like, they kind of feed off of that and just kick the shit at Matt Hardy and Shannon Moore. Like, Shannon Moore, like, takes some bumps, man. Like, mm-hmm. they go to, so they kind of recover, and he and Matt try and do the poetry motion, which is a funny spot because they had just, uh, Cole had just made a mistake and called them the Hardy Boys. And uh, Taz says, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he kind of looks like a Hardy anyway. And they go for the poetry in motion, and just Shannon just, um, just they move, and he just spikes the turnbuckle, like takes a nasty, like sloppy bump off of it. I mean, it was pretty cool, but uh, nice running power slam by Rhino. I thought it was pretty vicious, but uh, and then Matt ends up eating a gore to a big pop, but uh, he gets the pin. Uh, Rhino pins Matt here, but uh, I thought that was an interesting decision. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't just have Shannon Moore eat the pin mm-hmm. um, when. You know, that's the champ, but uh, I went two and a half on it. 
I thought it was real fun. I like the the early going with Benoit and Rhino just kicking their ass. It was really awesome. Uh, some good bumps in here. Like Matt takes the gore really well. Uh, Shannon Moore hitting the turnbuckle on the poetry in motion. Just tons of energy here and uh, just good stuff. And a uh, cool moment with Rhino just showing up, returning. Mm-hmm. So two yeah. For me. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually went three. I went a little higher. But uh, Moore's facial when uh, Rhino comes out is uh, pretty classic. He makes a really funny face when uh, he sees him. He sees that he's the mystery partner. Um, uh, and as soon as Rhino and Benoit hit the ring, Matt immediately bails on more. So more gets kind of thrown to the wolves. And like you said, they beat the, they beat the crap out of him. Uh, crowd was super hot for the match the whole way through, uh, towards the end, it was real fast paced. And, uh, I thought it was really hot into the match. So, um, Shannon sold really well. Uh, Hardy sold really well. Like you said, I think maybe painting Hardy was probably maybe a little bit of a mistake, but I think they really wanted to put over the fact that Rhino was back and he was going to be a force. So maybe he maybe he uh needed to pin the uh better guy in this match to make him come off a little better but i could see in a booking way that that might have been the wrong decision but i thought it was a solid match real fast pace so yeah like i said i went three on it yeah and i'm with you i don't think it hurts him too it was so chaotic too Mm -hmm. Um, you know it is a tag match and it's not did he the gore it's not like it's a you know it's a pretty devastating move yeah, I was saying both guys got got their shit kicked in pretty good by both Ben and Juan Rhino, so I don't think it was just devastating to his character or anything. All right, All right we get a recap of uh, Nathan Jones laying out his goals uh, last week on SmackDown and uh, how he mentions that he has uh, he has some affiliation with the uh, biggest dog in the yard. Presumably he knows Taker in some way, but Taker comes out here. Um, he grabs the mic and says that train a train's obviously trying to get his attention and no way out. He got it. So he's going to go with his new motto, which is shut up and fight. So it's time to do that. Train heads down with Heyman and, uh, Heyman in a very long winded way explains that train, uh, after listing all of his other clients says that uh, a train is now part of his, uh, you know, his clientele and big show joins him here and they both head down to the ring. Uh, Taker tries to fight both of them off, but there's just too much uh, beef in the ring for Taker to uh, to overcome. Uh, he gets choke slammed by uh, Big Show, which again a good task on here is uh, anytime they go for the choke slam task. Goozle, Goozle, he's got him by the Goozle. Goozle. <laughs> he um, he does that for forever, so <laughs> so good. Uh, Show ends up getting uh, is going for a chair, but this is where Nathan Jones comes in, knocks Show off the apron. And starts like throwing some uh, Chuck Norris style roundhouse kicks at uh, A Train, and A Train kind of bails. And I have to say the initial impression because this is the first time we've seen him like in ring, like coming out. He is fucking massive. That is a oh, yeah. huge human being, good lord. And he is like he's jacked. Um, but so presumably he's, he's saving Taker here. So maybe thinks is he an ally of Taker? They're they're kind of building this intrigue of like what is the relationship between. Nathan Jones and uh, Taker, but I, didn't, I mean, I thought he looked okay. The, the kicks were a little goofy looking. They didn't look super like he doesn't look like a guy should be doing karate kicks or whatever. But um, I think physically, he, he came in and looked physically imposing, which I think is the main thing. So he, I mean, he was all right so far. I mean, no qualms with Nathan Jones yet. What'd you think, Logan? Yeah, yeah, massive, massive human being for sure. Uh, I feel like the karate kicks would have been fine if he had actually hit one of them, but he kind of throws three in A-Train's direction and doesn't actually hit any of them. So I think if A-Train would have let him maybe 
land one on him uh it would have been come off a little bit more effective but yeah i think you know it kind of shows that seed of doubt because you don't really know what he's uh what his affiliation with taker is you don't know if they're buddies you don't know if he's going to be like a mentor mentee kind of situation or if you know he's going to go after taker once uh he has kind of gets his trust or whatever but um yeah it was it was uh it'll be interesting to see where it goes but um i thought it was a good way to kind of show off that he's a massive human being and can be uh in there with the big guys uh like a train and big show so and i also love that Heyman called big show his favorite client as he has like five or six <laughs> clients now and he's just actively saying that the big show is his favorite right when big shows could like the shittiest of most clients. <laughs> exactly um but uh yeah, and they definitely had someone was in Cole's ear, or like he was told in the meetings, like we need you to push Colossus of of Bogger Road. He must have said Bogger Road like eight times in <laughs> in the thirty seconds. Nathan Jones was out there. It's a, he's, that's him test the, the Colossus of Bogger Road. Bogger Road, whatever. Bogo bugger, whatever. I used to think it was Bugger Road. So. All right, we uh we cut to a Cena pre-taped little thing where he's in front of a laptop, an old you know 2000s laptop, and he's rapping about Brock, but he's tying in a bunch of like computer puns and stuff. Uh, saying like I thought he's watching Brock on the internet. <laughs> uh, very dated line because he says, "I'm rocking PS2. You can't figure out Atari." So, uh, <laughs> PS2 is the height of uh, technology. And but this is where he ends up saying that his finisher is now going to be called the FU. If Brock has the F5, he's going to have the FU. But you know, a good little rap. I like that they've given them this focus of going after like, you know, a top guy. And it's like a cool mm-hmm. little side story because obviously it's not going to happen anytime soon because Brock's got mania going on. But it just kind of in the back of your head makes you wonder like when is Cena going to show up and maybe come after Brock? Like what's going to happen on this? But it, it's keeping your mind in the promos. The, the raps and stuff are pretty normal. So the, the laptop was just a funny, like, just random thing for him to be in this dark room rapping with his laptop. Yeah, I was just, I imagine he was just looking at a blank screen, or maybe he actually typed out the <laughs> rap so he wouldn't forget it. <laughs> um, but I thought it was a pretty solid rap from uh, uh, from Cena here on Brock. Uh, and I like that he named, this is how he named the uh, FU, the FU. So. Um, yeah, I thought it was solid, and it kind of, like you said, it kind of keeps Cena in the back of your head as a possible opponent for Brock on the line. So, good, good little segment. All right, we'll now go to Brian Kendrick trying to get a job. He's gonna be facing Kurt Angle, and he's got to last five minutes. Uh, good little touch as when uh, Brian Kendrick comes out, he has to tell Tony Chummel where where he's from and what his weight is, which is a whole 185 pounds. So that was a nice little touch. No way. Soaking wet, he's maybe 185 (laughs) pounds. No way he's 185 pounds. (laughs) So uh, Angle toys with him early on. He kind of gets on all fours and lets uh, Kendrick try to hook him. Uh, That doesn't work. He just slams him around. Uh, Angle puts his hands behind his back, and this is our first Kendrick offense. He kicks him in the face pretty nice. Good little flurry of forearms by Kendrick. He had some really awesome aggression. Like he was laying his stuff in. Like, I mean, as we're gonna talk about, he he takes some bumps in this, but you definitely get the feeling that like Angle was like, "Look, I'm gonna give it to you. You give it to me. Like, I'll make you look good." And uh, so like Angle then launches him with the belt. I mean, like he went like coast to coast. It was just absurd. <laughs> just 
through him. Uh, but and then um, uh, Kendrick goes on the top rope. He's going to do something. And Ben, I mean, <laughs> not Benoit, but uh, maybe I was just thinking of Benoit because of how hard he slaps the piss out of him on the top <laughs> rope. It was almost Benoit-esque. But just um, slaps him when he's on the top rope. He just takes a killer bump, like flips all the way to the outside. just And lands flat, insane. like flat on the oh. concrete too, yeah. Or the mat, yeah. It's gross. Right. Um, Angle gets him back in, kind of toys with him like he's doing the ankle lock, decides not to. Pick, picks him up like he's going to do the angle slam, decides not to do that. And just kind of chokes him on the ropes and makes him watch the clock on the Tron. So some good heel stuff from Angle. But uh, he... Um, Kendrick fires back. He hits some kicks, hits a nice little enziguri. But then at 37 seconds, he gets rocked by a, a vicious clothesline by Angle. Kurt watches the clock. Um, um, but one last flurry from Kendrick. He lays in some forearms, but uh, uh, Angle cuts him off. Hits Angle slam with 10 seconds left and beats him with two seconds to spare. So um, it seems, at least for now, Brian Kendrick will not have a job. But Really well done. It's similar to what he did with Cena. A little bit different because they definitely play up the size aspect a little more. But, uh, you know, Kurt's just so good at this. I mean, he like he definitely got Kendrick over because he looked like super fiery. Kendrick got himself over by taking some vicious bumps. Um, and I thought Kendrick's offense, like there was good drama here. The crowd got invested in it because Angle's so good at kind of pulling them in. And uh, I thought Kendrick busts out some cool offense. Like I thought, like I said, I think he laid his shit in pretty good. His forearms looked good. Um, when he did hit that Enziguri, I thought he got good impact on there. Like he definitely looked like a good cruiserweight guy. Like he didn't look like somebody who looked out of his element. So I ended up going three on the whole thing. I thought it was a, a very well done for what it was supposed to accomplish. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I went two and a half. I really enjoyed it as well. I think Kurt is the perfect guy to make. You know, if you're if you're gonna do anything with Kendrick, it's good. He's a good guy to make Kendrick's uh, stuff look good, even if it's not coming from the from a big guy like you would expect Kurt to be kind of facing. But he he sold his strikes really well. He stole all of his moves really well. The Insiguri, like you said, uh, I wish they would have kind of let him hit the uh, slice bread. Uh, which was his finisher and, you know, the little like run into the corner and f- backflip. He, he reverses it. He goes for it at one point, but Kurt reverses it. But I wish they would have let him hit that and maybe get like a close two count uh, just to kind of go push that a little further. But um, I, I, you know, they, they almost time it perfectly where he gets like all the way down to one second, but they get it at two seconds. But uh, I, I I thought this was what more better pulled together than uh, I thought. I think it, went got went together much better than I, I would have thought it would have. Uh but yeah, he he uh Kurt sells uh Kendrick stuff really well and I thought Kurt looked really vicious and hit some pretty brutal strikes. And uh I think they really missed a big opportunity uh on WWE shop at this point by not selling the team angle uh track suits because I definitely would have had one of those. Definitely would have had one of those. So slick, so slick. Mm-hmm. And um I think he I was watching this. I was thinking like, it doesn't come off either. Like, I mean, angles laying his stuff in, but it definitely doesn't look like he's, you know, doing the Bob Holly thing where he's just like beating up the young guy. I mean, he lays it in, but I feel like it's all with a purpose. Like it, it helps Kendrick. Like it makes him look tough. Like he's taking this shit and coming back, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely, it makes his character kind of look like he's laying it in on the new guy, but it's definitely not coming from a, you know, a, a dickhead kind of place that it probably would come from like a Holly when like he does it to pewter in a couple of years. So, um, but yeah, 
I think it definitely comes from like a, this is my character. I'm going to lay in a couple of things, but nothing personal, kid. <laughs> He's just so good. And then so after this, uh, so Angle does this awesome deal with and then he cuts the promo after and just I, I love him just from the beginning, putting the disclaimer out like we had nothing to do with Edge. We didn't do just before he even says anything. <laughs> And uh, he tells um, he tells uh, Kendrick to stand. He says, "Oh wait, you're already standing." He says, "Look, you got guts. Just so disp- you got guts. I mean, you won't make it in this business, but you got guts, and I like that." Just so <laughs> raises his hand and then lays him out with another like brutal clothesline. Um, <clears throat> throws him into just another uh, brutal bump. Launches him off the stairs into the post. Just, God, what a shit kicking. Uh, just channeling that vicious side, like you could see, they're trying to rev up the the vicious Kurt as he uh, gets ready for Brock, and then he finishes off by f fiving him. So just Kurt sending a message to Brock here, and I should say before he closed on, he said, uh, you know, like this is for you, Brock, or something. So just trying to show that he can, like, kind of like I said, channeling that that vicious sadistic side of Kurt, which was good. Yeah, they need to tease him as like a little bit of a monster, and he'll do anything to kind of get get what he wants. So he'll he'll be a little more ruthless when he knows he has to go against a bigger bigger guy like Brock. So good to show off that little bit more of a ruthless side. So I thought it was a good segment, and that close line he hits on Kendrick at that point is just nasty. And the and the shot to the steps was uh pretty awesome because he does the little taker knees knees first thing and just does the front flip over him. So just absolutely brutal. Ruthless aggression, even right? Yeah, as I said, there was a ruthless. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, we chug along, and now we will get uh, we get the ref from No Way Out that screwed over Hulk Hogan, Sylvain Grenier, who was hired by Vince. He heads out. He speaks in French for a second, then switches to English and just kind of talks about how he screwed over Hogan. And then we just get, I mean, just a straight replay of the finish to Rock Hogan from No Way Out. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts we cover on the last episode, but um, like I said, it's just they just replay that. And then uh, Mr. Grandier waves, absorbs the heat from the crowd and just leaves. So just an excuse to, to get that guy booed and just to show the I don't know if they were trying to fill time. I don't know what the reason for this was, but they just straight up showed like the last 15 minutes of the pay-per-view. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I guess they were they were like, ooh, we're showing pay-per-view stuff. So, But if you want to know my thoughts on this, you can listen to the chicken salad episode that we did on No Way Out 2003 so, <laughs> on the on the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed. So if you want to if you want to know my thoughts on that match, just listen to that episode. I don't know what number it was, but it was it was early, I'll say. Right. So we, we both spoke about this show on, <laughs> on previous podcasts, so we, we won't rehash it. But um, but we do get some exclusive exclusive footage of a pissed off Hogan telling Stephanie backstage after the pay-per-view that he's going to beat Vince's ass. So, yeah, I do remember the match Fair being enough. a little bit of a mess. But other than that, I can't really remember much more of it. Yeah, you would be. It was, you know, it was nothing really to write home about. It was more to set up Vince Hogan than anything. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. All right, we head to Team Angle as they get ready for the big main event. Heyman's just kind of hyping them up, explains to Haas and Benjamin what their purpose is, that he had the greatest uh, world champion and Olympic gold medalist, and then he brought in the contingency plan, the tag team. Uh, Haas and Benjamin, who are now the tag team champions, hypes them up to be Brock and that they must protect their captain because if they lose, 
their captain will be put in the cage um, with Brock. And Shelton actually speaks here. Um, and he says, like Heyman says, we're going to let that happen. And Shelton goes, hell no, not a chance. So they actually speak. Yeah, that, that, I like the little pep talk that Heyman gave him, kind of hyping him up, saying they could they could definitely beat uh, uh, Brock if they put their heads together and really really came together as a team and could do it. I do think the facials that Haas made throughout this were kind of goofy. He kind of sat there and was like gritting his teeth and making making it seem like, oh yeah, I'm really into this pep talk that Heyman's given us. But uh, yeah, they definitely they they speak for the first time, but they they look kind of goofy sitting there, just kind of absorbing what Heyman's saying. Yeah, and I think you could kind of buy it because it, it kind of is who our characters are supposed to be, like just these kind of like athlete guys who are, yeah. Yeah, I guess like these kind of jockey dudes or whatever. But yeah, I said it before. I just love that whole dynamic of the idea that like Angle's the captain and they, they really play it like it would be like a sports team, like mm-hmm. getting your, you know, getting your team hyped up for a game or something. It's kind of, but um, yeah, they're great gonna, group. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to go into the main event. It's going to be Haas and Benjamin versus Brock in a uh, handicap match. Uh, you know, they tag in and out at first, just getting fed to Brock. He's just kind of hammering on them. They finally trap in the corner, and uh, Haas uh, blasts, him with a, uh, blasts him with a clothesline to the outside. So really vicious clothesline. Brock takes a pretty big bump. But uh, Brock recovers. He gets distracted, chasing Angle on the outside, because I should mention both Heyman and Angle are ringside. Um, as he's chasing Angle, he eats a baseball slide, I think, from uh, Haas. So just mm-hmm. really getting over that there's just a lot that Brock has to deal with in this because he's got two-on-one and he's got Heyman and Angle on the outside. Uh, they ground Brock down kind of with body scissors and headlocks and, you know, um, kind of rest holds. But they do look good, obviously, from these guys. Uh, Brock climbs up top with Haas and then jumps off the top with him. That was a really cool spot, like just kind of flopped off the top rope with him and landed on him. Uh, more shenanigans here. Just things are kind of breaking down. Uh, they hit the, uh, I thought uh, this is a sick double team. They do like a, um, a super kick to German suplex, uh, mm-hmm. angle, which is really awesome looking, but, uh, they still cannot keep the beast down. And he ends up, uh, knocking, uh, Benjamin out and then, uh, hitting Haas with the F5 and ends up beating team angle. So, so it's a fun dynamic with this because you have Brock, who's like the monster, but he's a face and he's having to fight off all this bullshit. There's some good spots there. Like I said, the uh, the double team is awesome. That clothesline that Haas hit was really awesome. Uh, the baseball side was really well-timed. The only thing that kind of is maybe a little iffy about this is do we really want – It's you know we just had the handicap match in No Way Out. Do we really want two – matches in a row where your tag champions are kind of and i know it's brock i know he's like a monster but they have Heyman and you know angle on the outside these are your tag champs and they still can't take down one guy even if it is brock i could see maybe that's a little iffy like making them look a little goofy mm-hmm. but I, I thought it worked for what they were doing um so i would go um i ended up going about uh two and a half on the match itself yeah, two and a half is what I went as well. Um, I could see where you could go with that, but I, it's also I feel like it's Brock, and like if it's 
if it was like a big guy or a big force like uh, Brock is, I think it's probably a little more excusable. If it was like Shawn Michaels beating them back to back nights or something like that, maybe it's a little more iffy. But uh, with with Brock being such a force that he is at this point, he's just he does everything with such ferocity and just such ease. It just whenever he suplexes somebody, it's just like it's the easiest thing he's ever done. He lifts them like a feather and just tosses them everywhere around the ring. Um, I did like the numbers game kind of constantly working against Brock. I thought the story throughout the match was pretty good with that, uh, with Heyman and Angle always been always getting involved when the ref was distracted. Um, I, I thought Brock letting Haas and Benjamin get as much offense in as they did uh, kind of made him look better automatically. Just the fact that Brock, a big beast like him, is letting uh, Haas and Benjamin get some offense on him was pretty Pretty good for pretty good look for them, um, even though they do lose. But um, the super kick German, I made note of that. I thought that was sick. I thought that was a really good move. That would have been a cool finisher if they eventually did that as their as their kind of their finish. I thought that would have been a cool one. Um, but yeah, Brock looks, just looks like a beast. He takes out two guys. He actually ends up taking out pretty much four guys. So um, good good showcase for him for sure. Yeah, and you're right. They do kind of build up that. They're kind of punching out of weight class against Brock, even though they do have two on one. So, yeah, if there is a guy who's going to beat, you know, win a handicap match against the tag champions, it would be Brock. So, mm-hmm. um, but so our our breakdown after this, so Brock throws Heyman in the ring. Uh, he's going to put Heyman up for the F5. Angle saves him with a chop block. Um, we get a brief kind of argument as Angle and Heyman uh, make their way back up the ramp, just kind of, I guess, pissed that uh, things went awry. Um, and so Brock grabs the mic and says that, um, you know, he's already got things set up for Angle at uh, WrestleMania. So he's going to, for um, for next week in the cage, he is actually going to pick Paul Heyman. So he kind of swears everybody and chooses Heyman instead for the cage. Uh, and I kind of like the subtlety of uh, Angle looks a little bit happy and relieved. <laughs> like <behind laughs> Heyman's back whenever Brock says he kind of gives like a smile. Like, <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Like. Just classic angle stuff. But, um, yeah, I wasn't really thinking this before, but once Brock picked up the mic, I was like, okay, now I know where they're going. Because I was like, I don't think they would do angle get Brock in the cage, you know, a few weeks before Mania. But it just kind of continues the story. I think it makes sense giving them something to do to continue to to sort of build this. Uh, so I thought it's effective. And it, it makes you want to tune in to see how that's going to go next week. So that was effective. Yeah, the only way I could have seen him going with Angle is maybe if they knew that that injury was going to keep uh, Angle out at this point, and maybe he just wrecks him and just chucks him all around the cage and really messes him up, and then that's how they kind of write him off. Uh, but I, I think you know Kurt was all, all all go. I mean, you know his doctors weren't all go, but I think he was kind of all go the whole time. He didn't want to miss his opportunity to possibly main event WrestleMania, so. Um, yeah, I think he was all in at this point. But maybe you could do that and that could kind of write him off. But I don't think Angle's going to allow that to happen no matter how fucked up he was. Yep, that's kind of his deal. Um, but uh, that uh, that wraps up SmackDown. Not an amazing episode, but I thought there was some effective stuff. We got some pretty fun in-ring stuff. Uh, the Kurt Kendrick thing I thought was really well done. They, they're pushing the main event feud like you really feel like it's uh, – they're really building this angle and Kurt, sorry, the uh, angle Brock thing is like a huge deal. Like you could already feel that it just feels like a, a huge, like a match really worthy of a WrestleMania main event. And they're really putting a lot of juice behind it, doing all this stuff with Heyman 
team angle and everything. So I think that's all really well done. You do sense a bit of maybe a little uncertainty at the bottom of like what is going to be the the undercard matches for SmackDown because you see the main event. I mean, you got whatever Taker's going to do, but you could maybe I don't know how much Edge being injured kind of threw them off with those plans, but it does seem a little meandering on the undercard, but overall still a pretty solid SmackDown. So I ended up going five and a half out of ten. Yeah, I kind of went the same as Raw. I went five. Uh, I thought it was, you know, it was pretty good. Some some good stuff, kind of like Raw was. Some good stuff in there, but it was just a lot of, it's some of it seemed a little aimless, but I, I thought it was a, all in all a pretty solid uh, episode of SmackDown. Um, it did the it pushed along the team angle uh, Brock stuff. Um, it kind of kind of showed maybe where they're leaning towards for Taker, uh, where they're going. I mean, maybe teasing a little bit something there. So, um, but yeah, I, I thought it was solid. Some solid in ring stuff. This this had the in ring stuff while I think Rock kind of had the you know backstage promo you know uh, angle kind of stuff a little bit better. But um, this definitely had the in ring action that I, I would like to see a little bit more of on both shows. Yeah. The Rhino debut is pretty cool. Yeah. Right. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah, both shows kind of, yeah, similar vibes, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Like kind of getting ready for Mania, but things are kind of like they're turning up the heat slow, like come out of the gate super fast. They're kind of pacing themselves. But uh, with that, we will go to our awards. Uh, Best match. I think I'm actually going to go Kurt and Brian Kendrick. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Rhino and uh, Benoit versus Hardy and Moore. Uh, best moment, I'm going to go with Booker T when, uh, getting his title shot, winning the Battle Royal. Yeah, I'll go with that as well. That's a good one. Uh, best show, I'm going to go with SmackDown. I think you were kind of a little bit down the middle, right, Logan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I went five on both, but I'd go SmackDown just because I like the little in-ring. Uh, I like the in-ring stuff a little bit more on SmackDown, so I'll go with that uh, this time. Yeah. I feel like SmackDown always is a tiebreaker, too, because it just always feels like it's a little bit shorter and tighter. Mm-hmm. Well, like which always helps but uh lvp uh you know i don't think we had a lot of egregious candidates here i'm gonna go with jeff hardy he just like we said he looked a little bit like a chump like you mentioned logan he looked a little out of sorts as he does a lot it just wasn't <laughs> great showing yeah most of the time i think it's probably drug induced that he looked out of sorts but he just looked like he was hurt like he, he he was in rough shape and he had just been through the ringer and uh he needed some time off or something like that but he was he was looking rough but yeah lvp uh just how goofy he looked I mean, you could go with test honestly test kind of looked like a goof in that episode of raw but uh i'll go with our Hardy. Hardy as well. He he was a super. If if, <laughs> if Tess looked like a goof, uh, Hardy was the super goof in that one. So um, I'll go Hardy as well. Are you gonna uh, you gonna do the thing like they do in the videos where like you lift your curtain, yeah. you know they come out. <laughs> God, what an awful uh, segment. <laughs> MVP. I'm gonna have to go with Rock just because I feel like without. Rock Raw would have just been like a barren wasteland. Like he really did carry so much of that show between, I mean, he had the opening promo and then he was kind of the, I mean, Booker T won, but he was kind of the, he carried the uh, battle Royal just with this commentary and stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Rock. I'll go with Booker T just because he got the two wins. He he looked good, uh, kind of taking the offense from the Evolution guys, and I uh, ended up pulling that one out, and he won the Battle Royal. So he's headed towards the title match at WrestleMania, so I'll give him a little bit of cred. 
All right, and then uh, what do you have for uh, standouts other than your MVP, Logan? Um, Rock definitely uh, is up there. Uh, I'll give a tip to Brock uh, as well, and uh, Rhino uh, for the comeback. And uh, him and Benoit in that match looked pretty good, so I'll go with those guys. Yep, I'm with you. The only other one I would add is uh, I'll throw Brian Kendrick in there. I mean, oh, yeah. great A ass kicking, and uh, I thought he did a pretty good job of uh, making himself memorable and uh, kind of getting over there. I mean, he just took the bumps he took in him. I mean, his offense was good too. Don't get me wrong, but geez, the bumps he took were just savage. When he that slap off the top rope is just we'll have to get Sue's on uh, gift duty on that one because that, yeah. that is just mm-hmm. absurd. But, and and he just uh, the, you right. could hear the smack on the mat that he hits when he hits the ground. It's just disgusting. So yeah, Kendrick is definitely one to throw out there for sure as well. So good call. Trained by Shawn Michaels, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that that wraps us up. A pretty a pretty straightforward week again. Kind of you know a few not the most loaded shows you're gonna get on these, but I was glad to have you on Logan. Would you like to tell him what you and kind of by proxy what i have going on because we do a lot of things together <laughs> yeah absolutely um seven months of danger is a pod that i have on the nso network here uh it's with me matt schiff uh strong and sometimes you join us uh, for some pay-per-views and clashes but uh we're going through the dangerous alliance uh the whole storyline the formation of the group and kind of all the way through their whole run uh that they have um highway to the impact zone is a pod that i host on the place of nation wrestling feed uh, where we're going through tna uh we're just about to the point where we're getting into 2006 tna we're finishing up 2005 uh we just did genesis uh, and we're on our way to turning point uh so that's the first pay-per-view that this will be the second time we do it so that'll be exciting to kind of come back around to a pay-per-view title that we've had before so but uh those are my main two right now but uh yeah that's that's what i got <laughs> very good uh, I thought Seven Months of Danger was actually a podcast where you guys trekked the uh, the run of the great tag team, the Patriots. So not I mean, it's kind of turning into that. So uh, <laughs> maybe Sean's kind of sneakily sneaking that one in there. So, um, but it seems it seems to be like we're doing a lot of uh, Patriots matches. So you might you might be right. Very good. You got to watch Sean. You never know when he's going to swerve. He might, you know. I don't know what he's going to come up with. I'll, I'll have yeah, to call it's a great podcast. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I did. Well, I've done one episode. The plan is for me to do, like you said, uh, more in the future. But it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a really awesome era to revisit. Uh, so go ahead and check that out. Check out everything else we have on the uh, North South Connection podcast network. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks to uh, continue this journey to WrestleMania 19 and you know, see what the build how the build holds up so i will see you in two weeks thanks logan for coming on uh and thank you everybody for listening address podcast see you later can you dig it Sucker, sucker, sucker. Ay, ay, ay. Ni voy a frontear la garripi, cabrón, pa' que vea que estoy bien.